Hello, and welcome back to Tech from the Top with me, Andy, and that guy. And me, Richard. Hey. Phone of Andy. Um, and, yeah, it's good to be back yeah. following Easter. It's been a while, hasn't it? It's been a bit of a time. So, yeah. what, was, what was the last episode we did? Oh, I don't remember. It would have been Salt. Oh, was it Project Managers? We always <laughs> like to go over those guys. Um, I think let's just loosely call it everyone. Everyone. Everyone who everyone, yeah. ever worked in tech. <laughs> It was, oh, it was Arc Ship B, was, that's was right. Yeah, Do you know what? Was, yeah. I think that inspired Han- Sandy to read Hitchhikers. Did it? Yeah, No, it did. wait, he hasn't read it before now. Uh, I think maybe I coerced him to read the radio scripts, I can't remember. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's worthwhile for anyone. That's to, right. To, oh, yeah. Arc Ship B. Oh. oh, it's so good, isn't it? That was brilliant, wasn't yeah. it? The Golga Frinchams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Loved it, loved it. Um, but today we're here to talk about something else, aren't we, Andy? Yeah, I mean, people who probably wouldn't go, uh, in most people's opinion, wouldn't go on <laughs> upshipping. But um, I think maybe we would probably push them in that direction, right? Yeah, that's right. So just to pick up on the Andy meme, um, which will hopefully turn into an internet meme. Oh, yeah? Um, which is architects who don't code. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's start there because uh, I think this episode is really about trying to understand the mind of an architect and the different types of architects yeah, and whether or not they're useful in the world of cloud yeah. if they don't have any other skills but box drawing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess maybe it's worth going back to <coughs> the good old days of what an architect is. We're not talking bricks and mortar architects here, are we? We're talking software architecture, uh, systems architecture. Um, and that's something that's matured a huge amount uh, and the cloud has been a massive driver to change. And you get all these folk called cloud architects now, yeah. which is wonderful. It's like, you know, let's try and make a house or something out of <laughs> some kind of nebulous concept. And it's kind of, it's it, that kind of works pretty well, isn't it, about how, how that's disintegrated somewhat as a natural term. But there were, I mean, I've worked with people in the past who have been like infrastructure architects, network architects, software architects. Uh, and and we we employ or... Uh, work with people who are data architects as well. Um, and, you know, that's there's a lot of different types of architecture. So what is it What is it to you and you know, where has well, it been maturing? So I think, so I was, I was thinking about this before this episode, right? I Somehow I missed this whole revolution of architects and TOGAF, mm. right? I, I remember being at school um, for A-level computer science and going, I want to be a systems analyst. Do, do you ever remember <laughs> right, that? Yeah. Right? There's no such concept as a systems analyst. Mm. Right? When I was a kid, there was no such thing as an architect. Right? Yeah. And suddenly you've got this kind of systems analyst was supposed to be a combination of somebody that has domain experience and somebody that has systems experience. And yeah. I feel like the roles of business analyst and technical architect were one, mm-hmm. but then they became two. Yeah, that's right. Um, two people, still one job. <laughs> uh, but that, but that, I mean, it's it is really interesting. I, I think I was actually having a conversation today because we were talking about um, our favourite guest ever um, and the filthiest um, Liz, mm-hmm. um, who um, who runs uh, the value creation team, yeah. very excellent team, and we pride ourselves on this you know, more of this idea of a technical business analyst or a technical PM, you know, and there are some people in her team that have come from strong technical backgrounds as well. And, um, 
you know, and we'll be able to write API clients or something like that, like the best of them. Yeah. Um, but have chosen to move into, um, you know, a more sort of customer facing, problem solving career, mapping business needs onto technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when I when you're around those kinds of people, you don't actually need to have technical architects mm-hmm. in the team because they can they understand enough about systems and they can grok enough about stuff, but yet they kind of do that role at the very kind of high level design, which to be honest, <laughs> most customers want. Um, some of the low level design documentation that I've been involved in has made my eyes bleed yeah. over the years, um, and you know, you need to just maintain it forever because everything changes and then that complete map of the system that sits in 150 pages of useless Word documentation, right, becomes your burden for the entire life of your time at your employer. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to my mind, this kind of lightweight, you know, architecture or understanding these systems, it can be done by those people that we kind of call technical business analysts. It's... It goes back in my mind to this, to that clear definition of systems analyst. We've mm. kind of gone round, created, um, what, what do we call it? A disjunction, or when two things come apart, and or have I just made that term up? Let's That's an astronomical that. term. Yeah, Let's go with that. Sorry. Divergent. Yeah, divergent. Okay, so divergent. That's a good one, Gabe. Um, and then they've kind of come back together. Yeah. And I remember speaking. I think you were. On the call with me, we were speaking to um, to a Microsoft exec, and they were saying that really good technical business analysts are key to their success in projects. Do you remember this? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think that they were talking about that kind of persona that marries technical architecture with a real understanding of um, business and that mapping of uh, requirements to uh, technology. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's really interesting when you get to the the audience of who's trying to receive the the message or the, the work that that person in that role was doing. And if you are someone who is talking with operations inside your customer, um, someone who's going to want to uh, decide on or, or define a domain and then sort of elaborate on how they wanted to use it. And they they're going to want to talk about the use cases that, um, need to be fulfilled by that piece of software or that, that application and the security concerns that they've got and uh, all those sort of caveats and constraints, they're probably going to be explaining those things to um, like a business analyst. But if they want to receive something and get confidence from the technicality of that, then they're going to want to describe or receive something which is pseudo-technical in its nature um, and some kind of abstraction from pieces of, of low-level implementation detail that they don't necessarily understand, though I haven't got the experience to understand whether it's right or not. So an abstraction to an architecture kind of level allows people to engage inside like a technical design kind of environment, even though when they're not really technical themselves. So there's a benefit to having those business people able to communicate through to someone who's uh, accurately technical. But when you think about it from a lot of other standpoints like where architecture exists for architecture's sake and the audience for that architecture is technical people and they hand over some of the worst tooling (laughs) like most 
like this disjointed um, tooling from the actual implementation ever. And you've got like Visio or Word or PowerPoint yeah. and it's got boxes in it. Just always boxes. There's always boxes after boxes after boxes. Different types of boxes. Boxes with stupid <laughs> names that make them sound like they're not just boxes on paper. They are just boxes on paper. And you get all these different types of boxes, different levels of abstraction, all boxes. And you give that to someone who's an implementer, someone who's hands-on, who's building the system out. And the feeling is that that this abstraction, which comes from someone else's brain, trying to reason around software, isn't actually connected to the software. It's not an artifact of the software. It's not something you can click on and it goes to a line of code to explain what that means. And it has the same information about it. Like, I'm thinking UML diagrams. And UML got, like interface definitions effectively in UML and and you will see in there a, a definition of how a low level object in a computational object should work and how it should be able to talk to other things it's pretty low level but it doesn't link back to any artifact or software mm-hmm. and realistically we're in the, living in a world where code is easy to access we don't need expensive tools to open it up Everyone can get like VS Code on their machine. Code is shared and secured and, and all that kind of stuff. Why do we need something that's not code to describe code? We don't. I mean, code describes itself and tests describe the workflows of code. Yeah, and your architecture is your interfaces mm. of your software. Mm-hmm. And having a different set of interfaces which aren't the interfaces just mean you've got two contracts that describe your code, one that actually describes the code yeah. and one which is boxes in PowerPoint. Mm-hmm. And one of the problems I always have with it is as soon as you go down the route of let's make a PowerPoint or a Visio diagram or a UML diagram in one of the specialist tools, as soon as you do that, you're saying the real code is one thing and the architecture is another thing and they are almost immediately, although they're not correct, um, if you work really hard, you might get them correct for a millisecond before somebody else changes something, and then they're out of sync again. Mm-hmm. So they're not synchronized because they're different artifacts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the good thing for me was when I installed uh, Office 365 because Visio stopped working, and I can never <laughs> install it again. You That's know? what happened I to just, me as well. Really? Yeah. It was just, I, I, I was like quite distraught at the time because <laughs> I'd been using Visio for years, right? But... What it helped me to do was stop drawing boxes. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, it was, um, yeah, it was actually like um, revolutionary. You know, yeah. it was this weight lifting from my shoulders and I don't have to pretend to be an architect anymore. Yeah. Right? I can just write software. Um, so I actually want to talk about something. Cool. Um, so I want to talk about something that I think is totally fucking stupid. Okay. And um, it also, it's also reminiscent of, um, a lot of companies and how they do things and how they think about design, right? Is it married at first sight? <laughs> What's that? It's like a TV show where people see each other and get married. Oh, really? Yeah. On on TV? On actual TV. I that was trying to be hip, man. Happens. Don't ruin it. Do they stay together? Or <laughs> no. no. They're like 50% divorce statistics or whatever? Or oh, I mean, even... I think their statistic must be like 99% <laughs> or something. But it's a really good show. Do they get married in the Caribbean, though? Um, might be worth it. Just I, to... I don't actually know any details. Please don't press me on this. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it in the, on the 
TV guide. That's all I know about. Is there a software architect on there? <laughs> uh, I'm trying to. I'm trying to get the relevance. There's no relevance, man. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. What were you saying? Right. Um, so <laughs> I thought you were basically saying software architects are Z-list celebrities. Oh, oh, god, that's going quite a long way. To be honest, I'm not sure it's even that. Well, maybe. So you were saying it reminds you of um, of how a lot of companies yeah. customers so exist. Th- so I don't think so. You know, we always talk about this fast paradigm in the cloud. You know, of just and the I think <laughs> I think the Elastic Cloud slogan should probably be, be just do it. Yeah, right? maybe <laughs> I might be taken. Say that, say that like a northerner, right? We'll have so much more effect. Go on, <laughs> just put do some, it. I mean, put, no, I, come how on, you, how you say that? That was so lame. <laughs> say it with a black Poolian accent. Just do it. Just do it. That get it done. That is it. Get right? it done, lad. Gabe, capture that. Right, get that is done, the Elastic Cloud <laughs> soundbite. You know, I, I'm not, we're not from the north though. We, our office is in London. How's this? How do you know that we'll never have a Blackpool office? Uh, well, I mean, I'd love to have a Blackpool office. Really? It's, uh, um, yeah. Um, I, I'll take that as a no. Right? Yeah. For anybody that can't see Andy's grimace, right? That's a no. Nothing wrong with Blackpool. Um, you told me that I've been there. Blackpool ended when Margaret the donkey died. Oh yeah, there was no purpose to it. I know it wasn't the same. My childhood ended that day as well. <laughs> they used to have a donkey. She used to walk on the beach and it died, and everyone was sad. Oh dear. Yeah. All right. Um, Probably maybe, would have made a pretty good software architect if she was <laughs> <laughs> Margaret the donkey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Carry on. Oh crikey. Uh, so. <laughs> Okay, so, um, yeah, right, fucking stupid companies. Oh, yeah. So um, so one of the things that, um, that's happened, you, you know how we talk about this kind of transport of bad practice from centralised IT that want to find their home in a world that doesn't have a home for them? Yeah. Right? So I think, I think this is case in point, right? Architecture is the same. It hasn't evolved since... People were building these really complex on-premise workflows and where they didn't have service-oriented design that were provided by cloud vendors. So here comes the fucking stupid bit, mm. right, about the lack of evolution. You've got, um, you've got the kind of company that we are, which is, um, let's just call us the new age hippie of cloud, um, unless you can come up with a better name because now that I've said it out loud, that sounds really lame. New Age Hippies, like alternative medicine and <laughs> healing crystals. Uh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I'm not sure that's us. No. Okay. Um, so you've got... you've Mad got this rocket scientists. Uh, we believe in warp drive. Warp, dri- warp drive theory, that's right. Rockets Correct. are... That's right. Absolutely. So, <clears throat> so where... Um, uh, yeah, where I was thinking about fucking stupid companies was um, it goes back to do the line, the Blackpool line. Just do it, lad. <laughs> Get it done. That's brilliant. I love it. <laughs> Even you sounded a bit like Alan there. Well, I mean, he's from the wrong side of the pen lines, but um, <laughs> I still have lots of respect for him. Yeah, absolutely. The only Yorkshireman that I do. <laughs> and and that could be David, his slogan. Hi, David. Yeah, David as well, bless him. 
But that could be Alan's slogan, right? Yeah. Just do it, lad. Yeah. Get it done. And eat some pie while you're at it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to try and imitate you. It's we so need to lame. send you on like a you road do, trip of the north. To, you brush need up to on send that me accent. on Preston elocution classes. <laughs> well, de-elocution, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, so it's, it's this idea of knowing what you're going to do before you do it mm. in all its totality. That's stupid. It is stupid. So... The, I think the challenge here is that the design comes in line with the implementation yeah. or even after. Yeah. And the thing that I hate is that where, where you go into a situation and you're forced to go, this is how it's going to work before it works, Yeah, right? There's no need to do that in the cloud anymore, mm-hmm. right? Just do it. Yeah, just, just do it. Yeah. yeah. So, so just. <laughs> but you're sounding so great. This is <laughs> this is your vocation in life, right? You can even replace Margaret as the uh, yeah, I could like okay. the key key Blackpool attraction. There's an opening. You and the crumbly guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I'm getting so racist here. No, oh, uh, it's not really racist. It's not. It's more like affectionate banter. Good. I'm glad you see it that way. Yeah, because right, we look down on Southerners, so it's all, it's all fine. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, I think, I think the way I view all of this is that, that that whole premise of knowing what you're going to do before you do it doesn't have a place in our world anymore. Yeah, it, and it, it died like quite a while back, right? So it, it's the antithesis of how you do agile <laughs> software development. Like yeah. You can't spend a year making sure your architecture is absolutely perfect and has every single little bit of configuration and networking and deployment and everything absolutely bottomed out to then start writing your software. Yeah. Because you'll write your software and find pretty quickly you hadn't thought about something and it's wrong. And it goes back to like how Waterfall used to work with a massive analysis phase at the start and then a software design phase that as soon as you either the, the customer changes their mind about anything at all or you miss anything in your your designs phase and or it doesn't quite match what the facts on the ground are when you start doing your implementation you have to go all the way back to the start and you never actually get any software in mm-hmm. and and the the whole point of of having to design all of your classes all of your interfaces all of your software to quite a low level of detail in something that's not software means that your software developers actually you go too far in that way and your software developers become just people typing out architecture yeah that's right reading in a visio diagram and writing out a c-sharp class and it's pointless and it devalues really what the developers are capable of doing and takes away the flexibility of writing good software that flexes and is up to date and you're also sort of saying that the architects are some kind of uber developer Mm-hmm. And often there's never as many no, architects as there are software guys anyway, right? Yeah. So it's more like that's kind of a very odd sort of set of thinking that one dude can can come up with an overall design that's better than, than the guys who are actually implementing it. They can come up with no fresh ideas. That is very, very true. I think you hit the nail on the head though as well, right? There's no real concept in architecture of agile, mm-hmm. right? Design, in, in all the projects I've been, especially recently, um, 
designs have been done and they're static, right? And then then just given to teams of developers to go and implement, yeah, right? And most times, a lot of these architects don't know enough about the services or the constraints on the system to get everything right, yeah, you know? And then you hit a bottleneck. Yeah. And because they haven't actually tested this first, because they generally don't have the capability and there's no hand-in-hand working with development teams because this is like a handoff. Yeah. Here you go, go and build it. Yeah. Right? I'm the expert. Yeah. You know? But, you know, all of that just eviscerates, evaporates, eviscerates, you know, with with the fact that um, you can't know everything up front before you do it. And so the easiest thing to do is just to spin up a few services because you know all of their constraints, how they work, all of the different integration patterns between them. Do it. And then publish a design off of the back of that, right? And evolve that with the software. Yeah. You know, so if anything, architecture should happen in tandem at best. But I even think that it's something that you retrospect on at the end. Yeah. Right. And go, this is the system that we've built. This is how we did it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah this is the proof. This is the proof of it. Um, I, I'm, I, that kind of makes sense. Like, um, architecture to <clears throat> me needs to be tagged to something at the same point that you would do like a git tag so you you complete a sprint or you get to some milestone and you release a feature and then you go to your git main branch and you go right this is now v1 mm-hmm. so if i ever need to go back and hotfix v1 i can go back to that tag yeah and v1 then is defined as the truth of the sum of histories of the git repro to that point that's yeah, the point yeah. in history it's checkpoint of what the system is at that point and it's a retrospective, right? That that is what you've got. To, that's where you got to. So that's right. you can have like hundreds of versions released, and if you need to go and fix one of your customers still on version one, you go back and you get version one. You go and fix it. Well, architecture is relevant at the same point of version one. Mm-hmm. You can go like, hey, that version in my my Git tag, which has got this code that defines it, and these DevOps scripts that create it, mm-hmm. and you know these sets of metrics and quality checking and these unit tests that should also have an architecture that goes that's how it all hangs together at this point Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if you do it at the start then it's going to be wrong because it'll have to evolve and then what what would happen is you would have just an inaccurate architecture until you started v2 and then you get a v2 architecture which would also be immediately wrong but it'd be after the tag was put in a kit it doesn't make sense it doesn't you're right you're right i mean what i think is what i think is really interesting is because if the design comes after (laughs) do you actually need an architect or just do you need an automation platform that just goes look at what you built and here's the representation of it yeah and like because you know i remember in the early days when we moved from um uh, RDFE to um, ARM mm-hmm. and um, I've forgotten the name of the Microsoft guy I'm, uh, I'm linked in with him or I'm connected with him on Twitter I can't remember um, who built that ARM editor and it was the first time that you were able to to look at a resource group and then reverse exactly what was in it yeah. to create a design and then loads of people started doing that yeah so that it prompted this idea of here's um here's here's the document 
here's a documented version mm-hmm. of what you've just built. Yeah. Right? And then all you do is annotate it. Yeah. Or you can build the annotations from the system constraints that you've built as well, depending on how complicated you are. But visually, it doesn't... What You know, how much more complicated does it get than that to be able to take that, to, you know, turn this into a set of interface specifications from literally what you've built? Mm-hmm. You know, even for things like the... Event Hub, you know, we're doing some pieces of work at the moment um, on schema registry. So if you publish your schemas and then you use automation to bring that back, right, all of a sudden you've got all of your documented interfaces. Yeah. For So there's some really, really clever ways of going, how can I build my system documentation up mm-hmm. from what I've built? I yeah. yeah, I think visualizing that makes a huge amount of sense <coughs> because I would contend that, you don't really design software um, and you shouldn't try and design software. If you want to do it lean with a small focused team and you want to be like, you know, effective and productive, you don't design software. You kind of grow software. It's like the, it's like the, <laughs> so you know, you know why I'm laughing. What? You know why I'm laughing because do you want to tell all of our listeners how you spent your weekend evolving software? <laughs> go on, Andy, go on. Go on. No, go on, no, this go on, weekend was a great... I, I converted <laughs> JavaScript into TypeScript. For, for for an incredibly complicated application, which has how many lines of code? Oh, hundreds of thousands of lines of code. <laughs> and um, most of that, though, was just renaming .js to .ts um, and then crying at all the errors that appeared afterwards. <laughs> then going through and trying to correct all those. But mainly I did that because Darren's on holiday and he didn't stop me. Um, but <laughs> when he comes back, it's going to be fun for him. Oh, dear. Um, never take holiday. Um, that's the thing. No, so, uh, so I, I was going back to this point where I think a better way of uh, building software teams is is using Agile than using Waterfall. I think if you go a level of depth and nuance beyond that, a better way of building software is not to design it at the start, but to evolve it as you go through and you, and really, really embrace iterative design principles, iterative software development principles, and use that for design as well. You only have to design the bit that you need. You only then have to design the next bit when you're going to be using the next bit, and you can be very lean and lightweight to it, and like only really designing two weeks at a time with a little bit of advance so there's no lag on it. You only need to design the next bit mm-hmm. as long as you've got some guiding principles over the top and you've got like a, you know, where you're shooting for and you've kind of validated that it's possible because it's either just a typical app that other people have built, or it's close to a reference case study or whatever. You know, it's possible. You're not trying to invent something which, like a teleport, that you just couldn't do on the <laughs> right? <laughs> like we're trying to do. Yeah, but that's, that's just that's a bit of a hobby. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you're doing something which is typical, you should evolve your design as you go through, just like you evolve your code as you go through. And doing it at the start as a discrete piece of work that's now started it, finished it, now we can dev, just doesn't work because it's the same as Waterfall. So it's it's like creationism versus evolution, right? You don't, there's it, no intelligent designer. There shouldn't be an intelligent designer baked into the process because there's no time for one and they can't be all-powerful to be able to see everything that's going to be inside the software domain when they start working anyway. So it will be wrong. So the reality is the only way you can do it is to do short pieces of design work and architectural work that enable developers to do a sprint's worth of work. And when you get to the end of that and you face a new challenge, then you can design it and flesh it out as you go through. 
that would be so much more sensible than exactly what we've got, which is to, especially on the bigger projects, design something for 18 months. Um, well, most of the time, our customers ask us to design something and make an architecture of something in the proposal before yeah, we do the work. True. It's like, here, have some free architecture time. <laughs> I mean, I, I look at that and go, that's a waste of energy. Yeah, I know. We don't have anywhere near <laughs> all the facts because we're not in contract with that customer yet. They haven't shared us access to everything. Yeah. And and it's also just boxes, so you can't actually use it anyway at the end. Hey, it's pretty heinous, isn't it? Right. Yeah, this yeah. is already, for me, this already, um, it's the same with RFCs that we get, mm. right? Um, uh, RFCs, sorry. RFRs or RFQs. Yeah, RFPs. RFPs. Hang on. There's a lot of Request for information, request for quotes, request for proposals, request for comments. Yeah. Request for... RFCs are standards. That was my... Yeah, that's for, like... Yeah. Um, So I meant... I think I meant... RFIs. RFIs. RFIs are, like, tell me something about your business which makes me think you are in the right ballpark to That's be engaged right. RFPs are like hey here's my problem in five words and an Excel spreadsheet which everyone hates <laughs> um, right. and you've got to fill How it are you in gonna solve it? and then we'll invite you in yeah. and you're going to come and sit in front of me and we'll do a beauty, beauty parade yeah that's the one um, where where you don't have um, you don't have enough information really to to actually to actually finish it because like you said right there's especially in this data-driven world, right? You can't do anything without looking at data. No. This is one of the things that I find so insanely insane about <laughs> a lot of our customers, right? We go in there as data specialists. And they don't let us see the data. <laughs> let's see the data. <laughs> yeah. It's like, let's sit there twiddling our thumbs. Yes. Oh, could you write an ARM template for us or a bicep file to deploy some? <laughs> um, we could do yeah. Yeah. if you want, okay? But we are here to build you a data platform, and for that you need data. <laughs> Oh, um, uh, we'll get you a sample. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it comes in, it's one row. <laughs> oh, by the way, this is semi-structured, all the rows aren't the same. And it's like, you've only oh, given me one row. I've totally forgotten my point, though. Okay. But what I am doing is I'm, I'm, sitting, I'm sitting in front of Darren's words of wisdom because we oh, yeah. asked him as well yeah. to classify architects. So I'm going to read out and we can talk about his definitions. It's not ours. Um, the the podcast does not... Uh, endorse or condone <laughs> these uh, views yeah. of Darren Fuller and at Elasticloud for complaints. Um, no, no, Gabriel says no, that's not his email address. Um, what's his email address? Um, I've got his um, phone number, actually. Uh, yeah? <laughs> no, not poor Daz, right? He, PII, PII. He, poor guy, barely gets it off. <laughs> Of time anyway the, the thought of having like a million people especially architects <laughs> very hate call him out all the time right <laughs> poor, poor Darren right like I'm just thinking now this um, we got we got to think of a, a collective noun for them that's what a troop of architects yeah uh, a box of architects <laughs> let's, let's do that yeah a box of architects turn, <laughs> turning up in westminster with like darren's face on the on yeah. the placard with a big cross down through. down with darren <laughs> oh down with man poor oh, bless him but i actually agree with some of his definitions all right let's go really through cool. them right so his number one is um ivory tower architects yeah. who will not deviate from architectural purity even if it results in a worse solution because the technical implementation doesn't match. <laughs> you 
Yeah, 100%. <laughs> oh, my God. Ivory Tower architecture. How is many the customers worst. does that bring? I like. There's one that comes to well, mind. Maybe not all of them. There's one that comes to mind. Actually, I'm not going to say who they are because I wasn't there, for, at least for the second time. You were there. You had to go to some fucking stupid place in West London or oh yeah, in the in the corridor, the M4 corridor. Oh yeah, something like that. So you oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. right. Oh, yeah, that is an Ivory Tower architect. hundred percent. Right? Uh, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Didn't know anything about Azure. Even though we were building an Azure uh, deployment, but that wasn't important because <laughs> the architecture is abstract. The architecture is the architecture, and it's like the guiding light of reason and logic. Yeah, and we must consult it, and it will guide every single technical decision we make thereafter. Yeah, but so, it's just garbage because it doesn't. It's not up to date with what you can do. There. But did you have capabilities? Um, um, not in the way that they thought we did. <laughs> right. Not a proper architect then, yeah. anyway. Sorry about that. I have to say, Rob Henwood, who I think is brilliant, right? yeah. I love him as an architect, um, I everything that I'm saying today, right, I'm not including him. Yeah. Right? First of all, he does code, and he's he's how all architects should be, Yeah. Um, if I'm being honest with you. Um, but, uh, yeah, he taught me about capabilities. Um, yeah, yeah. He he actually made them. After I had a session with him about this, I understood their use. It's, um, it's, but I've never seen anybody else apart from him use them properly. So I've never, I haven't had the the, the fortune of being uh, explained uh, by Rob. But the capabilities to me are what color the boxes are and the, and the PowerPoint. <laughs> That's what they're normally for, right? Yeah, that, you a little key at the side. That fall into the ivory tower architect. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, so number two. Um, hammer architects. Hammer, yeah. Like hammer time. Uh, okay. Hammer architects. Uh, hammer type like MC Hammer architects. MC, yeah. <laughs> MC baggy hammer trousers. <laughs> Excellent dancing. Do you think they'll turn up to uh, Westminster? Yeah, big baggy trousers <laughs> with the the anti Darren placard. <laughs> <laughs> MC Hammer architects. Oh, what a vision this is. Do you think, oh, that's brilliant, right? But not only that, do you think they're going to bring their own whiteboards, right? Yeah, they won't have, yeah, they won't have placards, mate. They'll come up with a whiteboard and start drawing it. And, just wait a minute, I've just got something I've got to get out. It just says, fuck you, Darren. Every letter in a box, little box F, little box U. Oh, crikey, I hope, I hope actually... This box of architects don't actually don't find out where Darren lives. This would just be the worst. Um, God, we'll have to put him in witness protection. <laughs> we will, won't we? <laughs> Fly him somewhere. Right. So, uh, hammer architects, those those who only know one thing well, and so everything is a variation on that one theme. Everything looks like a nail. Ah, that's good. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. I can totally understand the customer that he's he's thinking of there, mm-hmm. um, and the <laughs> the one the one design paradigm that springs to mind is the entity attribute model. Oh wow! So how many flavors of that can we have? Oh, so many stupid design. I always joke that that EAV <laughs> is um, is the best anti hacking tool. Because by the time you get access to someone's database, and it's uh, 
it's been designed as an EAV. <laughs> it takes you about four years to actually figure out how to query the damn thing. Yeah, absolutely. And then it takes two years for the query to run. <laughs> so in that period, you've got six years for your InfoSec team to actually stop people accessing your server. <laughs> it's the best thing. That's brilliant. I've never really thought about it like that. But, I mean, as a control, what a yeah. great idea. Um, okay. Uh, oh, Darren, come on. You've got more than two architects. Oh. Um, oh, I tell you what's in this chat, right? You using ChatGPT to build your and Azure design. Oh, this is the Can new. We... This is the new architect, right? Yes. So, so the thing about um, the, the the world changing rapidly. Obviously, people are worried about losing their jobs to ChatGPT and and various sort of language models, which I think is kind of insane because unless you're literally doing language uh, day in day out, it, it's not really in your domain. It's not <coughs> making any decisions. It's not. It's just summarizing text that it finds randomly on the web. But it's pretty powerful stuff. I like it. But what it can do is it can it can summarize things that look like architecture, aka bullshit, and it can generate <laughs> out more architecture, aka more bullshit, that is fundamentally different. So it's gone and looked at loads of stuff, especially in the the, the ones that have done like. Uh, the codex kind of models. They've looked at loads of code. So yeah. they've also looked at loads of documentation that sits alongside outdated documentation. We don't <laughs> tell anyone about that. If you go to chat GPT and you go uh, like chat.openai.com and, and sign in and you ask it to make a UML model yeah. of a bookstore that has an e-commerce. So I'm basically I'm describing Amazon, right? E-commerce basket and stock checking it will literally go and build you an ASCII UML model with all the interfaces and little ASCII lines, pipes going between things and arrows so that you can see a model of interfaces between stuff. And and then it'll describe it in quite verbose kind of way. This talks to that. It sends messages between these things. This is how you would... This is the properties that you would set. You know, it goes to quite a lot of low-level detail. And we look at it from the surface level, which is what most people do with architecture and actually reads it right <laughs> like if you look at it from the surface level it looks pretty good but what worries me about it is the other thing that i've done with chat i've done a few things with chat gpt but um not just these two because these are terrible examples of me using company time for things but um i i have also played hangman with chat gpt you know the little kids game where you ask it to give you a word and you have to guess it and every time you get it wrong it it um draws a little piece of the, the, the sort of uh, gallows and then eventually you're dead. Well, if you ask, if you want to know how accurate ChatGPT is at architecture, play Hangman. Because what it will do is it will <clears throat> cheat really? over and over again oh. because it has no soul. Yeah. So <laughs> it doesn't care if it's cheating. Can you tell so, it not to cheat? No. Um, what it will do is it will, <clears throat> it's kind of kind to you. So every time you say, oh, is there an S in this? Uh, word, he'll go, yeah, and it'll show an S. Uh, and then, is there a T? Yeah, there's a T. Is there a H? Yeah, there's a H. Is there an I? Yeah, there's an I. Uh, and then, is there an F? Yeah, there's an F. Is there a P? There's P. And then eventually, it realizes it's running out of letters and it's not spelled anything particularly sensible. So then, when you say, is there a Q? It goes, yeah, and it puts a Q where it had one of the other letters before cheats and then then it oh. says congratulations you won i think when he wants to get rid of you 
Andy, how do you come up with this stuff? What, hangman? <laughs> what else you going to do with ChatGPT? <laughs> well, you get it to write architecture, right? Well, you've, you've given me this. This is like, this is literally yeah, yeah, a like perfect representation. So I'll read this out. Just um, uh, Azure database data load. Write a software architecture design for a semi-structured data load into an Azure database. It's literally got the set of steps, talks about design, security, monitoring, like absolutely everything. Yes. And the the interesting thing is that even when, <laughs> even when I've been involved in software architectures, right, most of them miss out all these steps, yeah. these data architects. You know, at least now they've got a resource to fake it. Well, there you, you go. Know? That's it. Yeah. That's the future. A um, new type of architect, the GPT architect. <laughs> GPT architect. Um, Darren's come up with two other architects. Um, I think you called this in the chat, a chat GPT architect. There you um, go. Nothing if not consistent. Uh, what do we try and do? So, so we tried to come up with a... Mm, okay, so... So Visio Architects, yeah. those who only draw architectures. Yeah. Um, I missed one, paint-by-number architects who just apply the same pattern again and again without thought or creativity. That's probably most architects, I think. Yeah. They learn things parrot fashion. This, so this is like folk who will um, <coughs> squeeze things like CQRS into anything, into every single type of application. Oh, we've got to use that, right? That pattern... It's one that we used in the past. We've got to use it now, even though it might be vastly inappropriate for the problem domain that they're looking at. Um, and we were talking the other day about, you know, in banking where um, everything's treated as a as a message stream, and you have to oh, yeah. you build up uh, each event to get the sum over histories to get the current state. Yeah, and how that works pretty well, and it's an accepted approach in that in that space. But if you try to do that in uh, like gaming or something like that, you would end up with just a colossus number of events that you'd have to push through to be able to get to the current state, and it would be wholly inappropriate for the problem domain. Yeah. Which come up with a name for that. Uh, well, it's a bit like the paint by numbers, but it's also uh, the... Oh, what? Um, paint by LinkedIn post. <laughs> Because, because often they get these architectures that are in like LinkedIn posts, right? And they just copy them and go and do that in my app. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll have a bit of a blockchain behind my, you know, bookshop mm. or something. I mean, is there really such a thing as original design anyway? It's me. I, I was chatting with um, Kev the other day because we're putting these courses together for the Data Academy. And, um, I told him to look at the Patterns and Practices website, mm. Microsoft one, because that's where I get all of my patterns inspiration, or I used to. Um, everything's on there, yeah. right? I mean, you, why would you? Why would you need any other resource except all of the ways that Microsoft map overall design patterns? Yeah, well, most so, people won't. Like maybe some people <coughs> at the head of every industry will have like a, a unique scale challenge or a unique kind of capacity or you know, some speed or velocity kind of challenge and those guys maybe you need a different architecture for, for that but most people are going to be i guess it's like a, a normal distribution of challenge right so most people are going to be towards the mean and there'll be some people either side of that that will need different um different sort of 
designs to to to, to match their needs. But mm. for most things, the systems, the the cloud platforms, the platform service, particularly offerings that are out there, are tuned towards common workloads and common goals. And I guess that's one of the things that you have to realize that as soon as we start accepting abstractions away from the physical hardware, mm-hmm. and we've done that obviously for absolutely, absolutely, we go to TN Mock and you see how they literally built a computer around an idea and they physically built something to back in the day to, to, to do a particular job and it was a physical piece. And then you get general purpose computing coming in later on and and when you get to general purpose computing, you're starting to accept compromises, but you're still quite low level um, but you're starting to say, well, we'll use memory in the typical way, mm. um, then we'll use like, access to I.O. in the typical way. And when you get more and more abstract and you get to you know, web applications, for example, uh, a very, very common, vast proportion of the uh, of applications out there have got like a web backend these days. Everything is pretty much web. Um, when you get to that domain, like, you know, you've got backend HTTP servers, and you can just put a bit of code somewhere and it runs as a HTTP server. And something else is actually managing the network traffic completely. You've just got like a small script that responds to the traffic when it comes in on a port. And we don't have to do any of the socket stuff. It's all just done for you. Mm-hmm. And the more you get abstract, the less you need to design something special because you're just you're connecting this little piece of logic to this little piece of state and that's all I'm doing. And I guess like that's one of the things where the natural endpoint of all this becomes more and more abstract software mm. in more and more common patterns that don't really need to do anything novel. Yeah. Not technologically novel. It's just integrating stuff. Uh, and going back to like the, the the stuff like ChatGPT, but also like low code and no code kind of interfaces, they can only work because everything is kind of abstract and and generalized around them. Yeah, and if it wasn't, they would there would be too much variance and they would never be able to work. If the world is going in that direction, yeah, I'm not 100 percent convinced it is, but to a degree, I think there will be more and more. Obviously, there'll be more tools that are more powerful than we've got now. That's just how everything always changes in that direction. Um, I think that having abstract services that you can rely on that are standardized to a degree means that you don't have to design so much because you've got to adhere to the standards. And the standards aren't inside, and they haven't been for a long time. They're not not really a standard inside my own business. They're actually a standard in my industry or mm. it, as a whole. Like you take, for example, the things that we're seeing in sustainability mm-hmm. where the very shape of your data needs to be the same as everyone else's shape of data around the world. So what's the point of designing a unique database for yourself? You may as well consolidate to a vendor who can yeah. manage and, and validate that for you. No, good point. Good point. I So you've just triggered something in my head because I know that we're coming to time anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to do the next episode on ChatGPT. In fact, the next few yeah. episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and not focus on all of the stupid things that you can do with it because there's Aww. so many. <laughs> that's I'm not saying that's Hangman is stupid. It right? is stupid. Um, <laughs> but it is, yeah. Um, so that's what I'm saying. But what it might be worth us talking about some of the ways that we are looking to exploit this and where yeah. we think it can have huge effect on industry because I think that one of the, one of the things that I like about this phenomenon is that this is actually 
a consumer phenomenon that's turning into a business phenomenon. Yeah. You've got all of these people that have messed around with this thing personally and gone, wow. Yeah. Right? What can I do with this in my organization? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. That sounds absolutely fantastic. So before we wrap up, right, I just, I know these two things are not linked and I shouldn't create a causal link, but I'm really excited because tomorrow we're recording Dungeons and Techies. Yeah, Dungeons and Techies. Dungeons and Techies, right? This is an absolute geek fest in the world of D&D, which we love. Um, If any of you um, are listening now, then check out Dungeons and Techies. You're going to meet our most amazing dungeon master, uh, Ivan, um, who is our in-house DM. And uh, we're going to have the most incredible game, which I feel is going to be reminiscent. So I'm trying to trying to mould myself on um, my kind of Silicon Valley idol, Richard Hendricks, yeah, um, kind yeah. of geeky, haphazard um, guy who, I don't know, gets so like hung up over things like tabs versus spaces and, yeah. right? Um, so I think um, transpose that into the mythical world of D&D with people <laughs> who are like totally haphazard. Yeah. Um, we there's going to be a lot of fun things. There's going to be a lot of fun things, and we hope a lot of you guys listen and like that, and even inspire you to start playing D and D if you haven't before. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> that was quite a lot of fun. It was indeed. Okay. Well, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening, everyone. Yeah.